This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This year at Christian Chapel, we are sharing stories of the good things that God is doing in our lives and the lives of others in our community. Those are our chapel praise stories. If you have them, you can send them to us at praise at christianchapel.com. And when we share those, we're doing that for two reasons. One, we want to be the people who express our gratitude to the Lord for all the things that he's doing. And two, we believe that almost always what God has done for you is a significant encouragement to someone else who's facing a similar need right now. So each week we're reading those, we're, we're thanking God for them, and then we're taking time to pray and ask him to do it again. This morning's story comes from D. Helsey. D. says, on October 1st, 2020, I felt a lump on my right collarbone while sitting at my daughter's college graduation. I made an appointment with my doctor, and he referred me to a surgeon. On September 1st, the lymph node was removed. Two days later, my doctor called with the shocking news that the lymph node was filled with cancerous cells that had metastasized from my thyroid. I had thyroid cancer. I was shocked by the news, and it took several days for it to sink in. Initially, we only told my family and close friends. As we were driving to church the Sunday following my diagnosis, I told my husband, Brian, I really don't want to tell anyone. Let's just enjoy the service and go home. However, at the end of the service, as we sang Waymaker, I started crying and decided I needed to go to the prayer room. The prayer team surrounded us with love and compassion. The news was still so fresh that I felt vulnerable and raw. One of the ladies in the prayer room told me, I'm going to organize 12 people to pray for you for the next 12 days as you're meeting with doctors and deciding what treatment plan to follow. We met with the radiologist and the surgeon the next week, and it was decided I needed a complete thyroidectomy. Additionally, they would remove 20 more lymph nodes since the cancer had spread throughout my neck. My second operation was scheduled for October 1st. The timing of my discovery of the lump on August 1st, my first surgery on September 1st, and my second surgery on October 1st reminded me of a dream I had had almost exactly one year earlier. It was so memorable that I had journaled about it, and the journal entry for the title read, Order of Operations. It was so vivid I had written it down, and now a year later I read through it and was reminded that God was in complete control of my situation and had a plan to use this suffering for my good and to bring him glory. As I started this journey, I sensed God telling me, D, I am teaching you how to receive love. I want to expand your heart. I want you to let people bless you and minister to you. So I did. I was overwhelmed with an outpouring of support, encouragement, gifts, messages, visits, meals, and prayers. This experience fundamentally transformed me as a person. I will never be the same. I can't be after all the ways that I've been loved. The scripture that carried me through this season was Genesis chapter 40, verse 51. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. I finished my 33 treatments of radiation on February 1st, 2021, exactly six months after I found the lump, another reminder that God had ordered my steps. I was and continue to be cancer-free. I received a first-class healing through human hands, but I know it came straight from the Father's heart to me.
And so this morning, we're, we're going to pray, and we're going to thank God for what he did in Dee's life. We are also going to pray that God will bring gifts of healing to those of us who've received diagnosis in the last couple weeks or months. Uh, but, but also, I, I really want to highlight, Dee's was not just a story praising God for his physical healing, but God used those low moments to bring her into a deeper and more authentic experience of community than she'd ever know. And, and so what I want you to understand this morning is if you're in a low spot, the enemy's going to come and he's going to tell you a couple lies. First, he's going to tell you you're the only one who's ever suffered like this. Then he's going to tell you no one else wants to hear about your problems. But one of the great benefits of living in Christian community together is that you never walk alone and you never carry your burdens alone. But that requires a willingness to be open, authentic, and honest with others about the situations in your life. And if you, know, if you know Brian and Dee, you know that they are wonderfully kind and loving people, that they are, are just so sharp and so intelligent, and yet through this process of being brought low through physical suffering, Dee found a level of connection and community that she had not known before. And I think that's many of our stories today. I know for me that my deepest experiences of Christian community have always come in my lowest moments. When I finally learned and believed what the scriptures teach, that the church is a place that mourns with those who mourn. And so if that's you today, I want to encourage you, we're not just going to pray for your healing. We're going to pray that you will enter into a deep and significant experience of community. That you will overcome those lies of the enemy that tell you you're isolated and you're alone. That you're the only one suffering, you're the only one hurting. And you'll enter into a space where you begin to know and understand that God has placed you in a family where you are known, you are loved, and you are cared for. Will you pray that prayer with me? Jesus, we thank you for, for your work of mercy, your work of grace, your work of healing in Dee's life. We thank you, Lord, that she knows what it is to hear your voice in the midst of suffering and to obediently follow the path you're laying out. We thank you that you have brought significant and lasting healing to her body. Now, Lord, we pray for those who have experienced similar disappointing medical interventions, disappointing diagnosis over the past weeks or months. Lord, they've gotten news that they never wanted to receive. Today, Jesus, we ask, will you release gifts of healing into their body today? Will you begin to drive out cancer? Will you begin to reverse the effects of sickness and disease? Will you begin to eliminate side effects and suffering? Jesus, we thank you that physical healing is a gift you give. It's not something we earn or deserve. We just receive it from you. Lord, we also ask for those who are in the midst of difficulty of suffering today, whether that is physical or emotional, if it's relational or spiritual, if it is financial, Lord, whatever it is, in our low moments today, may we know that we are being invited into a community that will love us and care for us, that will pray for us and encourage us, that will walk step by step and hand in hand with us through these dark nights of the soul. Lord, that you have not intended for us to be alone, but you've sent the Spirit to us and you've planted us in a community of believers. So help us, Lord, to overcome our insecurity, to overcome our fear, to overcome our pride, and to overcome the lies of the enemy that tell us we are unseen, isolated, and alone. And help us, Lord, to be willing to be open and authentic, to express our need, and to receive the comfort of those you've placed around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, it's, it's somewhat of a sharp transition, but I think I, I mentioned to Dee this morning, I think her story 
kind of directly relates to why we're moving to, to three services at Christian Chapel. And, and I know those two don't seem to go together, but let me explain. Uh, so on September 10th, we're moving to, to three Sunday morning services at Christian Chapel. Those are going to be at 8.30, 9.45, and at 11.15. Okay, so currently we're 9.15 and 10.45. If you show up at 9.15 or 10.45, you'll get half of a couple services. But uh, So, so kind of lock that in. We'll communicate that over and over and over again. But one of the reasons that, that we're having to do that is because you have done such a wonderful job of embracing the commands of Scripture to form communities that love and care for each other. And as you're doing that and you're telling the stories to your friends and your families and your neighbors and your coworkers, they are longing for that as well. And so it's an opportunity for us as Christian Chapel as we look around and we see the room is full at 915 and the room is full at 1045. We want to increase our capacity to welcome more people into these experiences of community. And so it really is just a matter of doing the math and seeing, hey, we're out of space but we don't ever want, I mean, the worst thing in the world would be for me if you had to meet someone at your, at your school, meet someone at work, and they're expressing their need, and you're telling them about this wonderful community where you found life and hope and healing, and then they say, can I come? And you tell them, actually, no, we're full. Um, but let me give you some other, like, that's, that would be the worst thing in the world. So we're going to make some adjustments, we're going to create some more capacity, and we're going to try to continue to reach more people, introduce them into deep and meaningful experiences of community in Christ. So um, 8.30, we're going to serve you breakfast every morning if you come at 8.30 uh, to, try to try to get you in there. If you come to the 11.15 service and you're a college student or a young adult, we're going to feed you lunch every day. And if you come to the 9.45, we're going to shake your hand and tell you welcome. Um, but, uh, you know, we just, we kind of see the writing on the wall, and so, so we're going to try to help you help us uh, spread those out. But uh, thank you for being flexible with us. Thanks for praying with us through that process. And we're excited to see what God is going to do. You also see some team cards in the seat back pockets in front of you. As we move to three services, there's more opportunities to serve, to use your gifts, to be part of what God is doing. So you can fill those out online and one of our pastors or team leaders will be in touch with you soon. Today, though, we are continuing our way through the book of Acts. So we are, I think, I think this is week 20 in the book of Acts. And we've made it all the way to Acts chapter 9 in 20 weeks. So we're doing better than we could be. Uh, but it's, uh, somebody stopped me last week and they're like, I looked through. This is going to take a while. And, and I just said, you're, you're right. It is. But um, I hope you're enjoying it. What we're learning from Acts is it's the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And what we need to, to constantly be reminded of is Jesus still has a plan for our life. The Holy Spirit's power is still for us today, and God is still planting us in the church to be part of his mission in the world. Today we'll be in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to talk about how God brings us fresh air and new life. No matter who we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter what we've been through, God has a plan for us. Acts chapter 9 is the story of a man named Saul and his conversion. Now, Saul, uh, you probably know him better as the Apostle Paul. He becomes one of the, the preeminent leaders of the early church. He's the author of 13 books of the New Testament. He is a, a renowned missionary, renowned theologian, a church planter, and church leader. But what we're going to see today is before he was Paul the Apostle, he was Saul, and he was terrible, and no one liked him. And God still had a plan for him. 
And so I, my hope is it brings some encouragement to you. My hope for our educators is it brings some encouragement to you because this year you're going to have some students that when you read the book of Acts, like you're going to think that's, they're Saul. Like they're just terrible people. And I don't know what plans, you might have some that you think are Simon the Sorcerer because you're not sure how they, you, like they got an A, but there's no way they got an A, right? You're trying to figure that out. But my hope for all of us today is we just come to this understanding of that what the scriptures teach is God has a plan for each one of us right where we are. And as he changes our hearts, it changes the atmosphere around us. And he's changing the atmosphere around us. That atmosphere becomes an attractive way that he's leading others into a relationship with him. So Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless when they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now we're being introduced to Saul at his most hateful moment. The story opens with Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. It's the third time that we have met Saul in the book of Acts and his introductions just kind of go from bad to worse. We first met him in Acts chapter 7, verses 57 and 58, when Stephen is being arrested, imprisoned, and questioned for his faith in the Lord. As Stephen stands before the religious leaders and he gives an account of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done by the power of the Spirit working in him, it doesn't achieve the results we would desire. Instead, the religious leaders are overcome with anger and begin a process of murdering Stephen. It says they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then in Acts 8 verse 3, it says Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And then again this morning in Acts 9 verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul was not just an, an unlikely convert. He was an extremely unlikable person. He was filled with hate. He was filled with rage. It poured over into every aspect of his life and what he was doing. Dr. Stanley Horton describes the, the uh, translation of Acts chapter 9, verse 1 that helps us understand it maybe a, a little closer. He says, breathing out here, meaning when it says Saul was breathing out murderous threats, breathing out here is literally breathing in. It's a Greek participle indicating that this had become characteristic and continuous. In other words, Saul created an atmosphere around him of threat and murder so that he was constantly breathing it in. As oxygen enables an athlete to keep going, so this atmosphere kept Saul going. Everything Saul did was fueled by his hate. And it moved him from somebody who was annoyed by Jesus 
to somebody who opposed Jesus, to somebody who wanted to destroy Jesus, to somebody who wanted to persecute Christians, to somebody who wanted to execute Christians. And so so what I want us to think of this morning, because we've said the stories of Acts are not just descriptive of something that happened a long time ago, they are prescriptive of things that should still be happening in our lives today, is if Saul's hatred was fueled by what he was breathing in and breathing out, then we have to kind of stop for a minute and think, is it possible that I'm breathing the wrong air in my life this morning? So so maybe think with me for a moment of of just kind of place yourself in your mind of the space where you feel like you can take the deepest and cleanest breath of air. Okay, so so for me, that would be on the, the top of a mountain in the winter with snow on the ground, complete silence, and the sun shining. Right, and if you've ever been in that setting, you know there is just there's a just a cleanness to that air that you're not going to get anywhere else in the world. And you, you can breathe it in so deep that it almost burns your lungs. It's so cold. Right now, for others of you, maybe, maybe that spot is you're standing on a beach and you're breathing in that warm, humid, salty air. And it just makes you feel completely at home. Maybe, maybe the, the place where you feel like you just breathe the deepest and the cleanest is when you're, you're holding that little baby that you've just given, they've got that fresh baby smell, right? You've just given them a bath and you, you just smell their head and it's just that, that wonderful smell. Maybe some of you guys, you're like, my, where, I, where I breathe it in the deepest is I'm in the woods, smells like dead leaves and dough urine. And I just <laughs> breathe that in, I just feel at peace and I feel alive. And, and here's what I want you to understand, whatever your setting might be, right, what you were created for spiritually, is to live in a place where you breathe in the love and the presence of God, where you inhale his peace and his joy and everything that he's done for us. You were meant to breathe in the love of the Father, to breathe in the peace of Jesus, and to breathe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you breathe that in, you're meant to exhale it into the world around you, creating an atmosphere in your area where others are drawn to what Jesus has done. This is what we're made for, and yet sin comes to us, and it corrupts us thoroughly. And the way it corrupts us is by exchanging the breath of God that we are supposed to be breathing in for the sins of the world. And as we begin to breathe those things in, we will also breathe those things out. And what, he, what is being described in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, is Saul has moved to the point where he has breathed in and exhaled out hatred of the church so often and so deeply that it now has become the driving force and fuel of his life. And so, so picture, I mean, you know what people like this are like. Right? There are people who surround you that you know they've been breathing in toxic behaviors and toxic beliefs. There are people around you who have been breathing in hatred and anger, who've been breathing in lust and rage, who've been breathing in greed and idolatry, who've been breathing in anxiety and insecurity. And you know as they're breathing it in and breathing it out, they're creating an environment around them. And it's all they can talk about. And it's all they can think about. And it's where their life is centered. And for Saul, his life was centered on the destruction of the church. If you were friends with Saul, he told you how much he hated Jesus. If you were an associate of Saul's, he plotted how to destroy the church. If you were a family member of Saul's, he talked to you about it at breakfast and he talked to you about it at dinner. If
If you were in Saul's small group, every scripture he would take and get back to, so this is why we have to kill the Christians, right? It's just everything he did all the time in every way, this was the fuel of his life. Now, what we would expect then is that somebody so adamantly opposed to Jesus, if he's about to have an encounter on the road with Christ, that it is a short, decisive, and judgmental encounter where Jesus just says, I've heard it, I've seen it, and I've had enough, and you're done. But instead, what we're going to find is it's actually Jesus inviting him into an experience of new life. But before we do that, we see in Acts chapter 9, Saul is not only breathing in the wrong air, but it's beginning to show itself in the wrong actions. So keep reading down in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So for Saul, as he's breathing in and breathing out his hatred of the church, it moves from just breathing the wrong air and creating the wrong atmosphere to actually doing the wrong things. Right, Paul would later describe his life in Galatians 1. He says, you know my former way of life in Judaism and how I was determined to destroy the church. He has moved from just thinking about it and just talking about it to acting on it. The air that he breathed became the fuel for his life, which became the motivation for his actions. And it brings us to a, a point of consideration this morning when you start to think about some of the things you're doing that you're not proud of. Some of the things you're doing that you wish you could stop. Some of the actions that you're hoping no one ever finds out about. Some of the speech that just keeps coming out of your mouth no matter how many times you make a resolution not to speak that way anymore. You think of the harm you're bringing into relationships. You think of the destruction you're bringing into different environments. And you're just wondering, why do I keep doing these things? And what the scripture is teaching us is whatever you're doing is a result of what you're inhaling and exhaling. And so this morning, if you're recognizing there are behaviors that I don't enjoy, there are things that I wish would change, you don't start with behavior modification but you start with internal reflection of from where do these things come? And what you'll find is just like Saul, they're rooted in the things you're breathing in and breathing out. They're rooted in the atmosphere that you've created around you. And what we see in the scriptures is the same thing you and I have experienced in our life. When we're breathing the wrong things, we're going to start doing the wrong things. Sin is never going to stay internal. It's always going to leak out. It's always going to bring destruction and death into the world around us. It's always going to harm those who are close to us and those who are far from us. It's always going to be a sin against ourselves, against others, and against Jesus himself. And so the, this morning as we're evaluating the air we're breathing, we're wanting to understand it's never neutral, but it always has a logical consequence. And so if you're breathing in anger and hatred, it's going to show itself in verbal and physical violence. If you're breathing in lust, it's going to show itself in sexual immorality and infidelity. If you're breathing in greed and materialism, it's going to show itself in your willingness to lie, to steal, to cheat, and defraud. If you're breathing in lies about who God is and lies about who, God, who you are, it's going to show itself in anxiety and fear and insecurity. 
The things you're breathing in are shaping your heart, they're shaping your mind, and they will show themselves in your actions. And what we see in Paul's story is that it's the same thing that will happen to us as we're breathing it in and we're breathing it out and we begin to act on it. We enter into this kind of spiral, this cycle of destruction where it starts with just breathing the wrong air. And as you're breathing the wrong air, you start to create the wrong atmosphere around you. You start to create the wrong atmosphere in your home. You start to create the wrong atmosphere in your school. You start to create the wrong atmosphere at your job. And as you start to create the wrong atmosphere, eventually it's going to show itself in your wrong actions. But, but here's the thing with sin. As you start to engage in that cycle, you're not going to do the wrong thing and just stop. But just like Saul goes from bad to worse, you and I are going to have the same experience. We will not get better on our own. We're going to go from the wrong air to the wrong atmosphere to the wrong actions to worse air to worse actions to worse atmosphere. It's going to go over and over and over again. And for Saul, he moves from someone who's opposed to the church, someone who approves of others persecuting the church, to someone who's arresting Christians, to someone who desires to kill Christians, to someone who picks up an itinerant ministry of traveling around to try to get more Christians to throw them in jail and stamp out this Jesus way before it spreads any farther. And so the the challenge of Acts chapter 9 is not necessarily that God reveals our sin or that he knows where we are. Honestly, the challenge for many of us is that God would bother to show up on the road to Damascus at all. That God would do anything but destroy Saul. And yet what we see is that God's response to us being there, breathing the wrong air, creating the wrong atmosphere, initiating the wrong actions, and furthering these cycles of death and destruction, his response is not to give us over to those things. His response is to enter into the darkness, to grab our attention, to call us out in personal and powerful ways, and to lead us into experiences of new life. It's what he's done for us. And now it's what he wants to do through us. So you keep reading Saul's story in Acts chapter 9, and you see this is exactly what happens. In verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So in Acts chapter 9, we see four ways that Jesus comes and brings fresh air, that he brings new life to us. The first is Jesus shows up in powerful ways. So if you have time later, you can read in Acts chapter 26 where Paul is describing his salvation experience. And he's been brought before King Agrippa, and he tells him, he says, King Agrippa, I was on the road to Damascus. It was about noon, and suddenly a light brighter than the sun struck me and blinded me and put me on the ground. And so so the first thing we need to understand is when we are stuck in cycles of death and destruction, Jesus' response is to move toward us in undeniably powerful ways. Now, now for Saul, that meant he's on the road in the middle of the day, the sun is shining brightly, and there is a brighter light that comes. And, and, And so Saul, he doesn't yet know who it is. He doesn't yet know the purpose of it. All he knows is, my attention has shifted. 
from just getting to Damascus to what in the world just happened? How did I go from walking to laying on the ground, being unable to see? And so for, for you and I, we've had these experiences. Now, it probably wasn't a blinding light, although for some of us it might have been. But if you're a follower of Jesus and we had time to sit down and for you to tell me your story, you could tell me whether it was through a season, through a situation, through a conversation, through a book that you read, through a song that you heard on a radio. There came a moment, there came a time in your life where suddenly God got your intention in an incredibly powerful way, right? Where you began to understand everything I've done before has been darkness and death, where you began to question and wonder, is there something else in this life. And maybe it was through the invitation of a friend who brought you to church and you sat there that first Sunday and you thought, did they call the pastor ahead of time to tell him all about my life? Because I feel like he's talking directly to me, right? Maybe it was a song that, that we were singing and you thought, I, it's like that was written exactly for my situation. Maybe it was the first time you picked up a Bible and you opened it up and you felt like the words jumped off the page and into your heart. Maybe it was a dream or a vision. I don't know how and I don't know where, but I know Jesus still shows up in powerfully undeniable ways to draw people into a relationship with him. And it doesn't have to be exactly like Paul. It just has to be powerful in a way that it gets your attention. And that's the only standard. And what we know again and again and again, if you're a follower of Jesus today, it's because Jesus showed up in power in your life. And when he showed up, he got your attention. And I wish we had time for you to tell your story. Maybe tonight in your home groups, you'll have some opportunities to do that. Tell the story, encourage each other. Yeah, there was a day that I was lost. There was a day that I was blind. There was a day that I was breathing in all the wrong air and exhaling everything terrible. I had a toxic atmosphere around me. But one day Jesus showed up. And that's your story and that's my story. And that's the story of what Jesus still wants to do to every Saul on every road to Damascus. No matter where you're going, no matter what you plan on doing when you get there, Jesus still shows up. And when he shows up, he doesn't just show up in power. He shows up in very personal ways. As all is laid out on the ground, the first voice he hears is the voice of Jesus. And the first thing he says is, Saul, Saul. Making it clear, I'm here for you, bud. Like, this isn't a thing that you're observing for someone else. This conviction isn't for your friend. This is just for you. And this is what we need, right? Sometimes we hear the story of Saul and we think, yeah, that's, man, knock my, knock my family members on their back. Knock my coworkers out. Blind her. Blind him. Like, Jesus, do it. That's what they need. And that, that, uh, that's probably an okay prayer to pray sometimes, right? But, but what I want you to understand today is before we're praying, God, do it for them, we need to be praying, God, do it in me. And we all have our own stories. We all have our own spaces where we need Jesus not to show up in power, but we need to sh- him to show up in very personal ways. And the personal way he's going to show up, he's going to speak your name to you. And do you know the, the value of somebody knowing your name? You know the sense of significance and worth like we're at the, the start of a new school year where nobody knows anyone's name, right? Where everybody is bud and sis and honey and sweetie, right? And, and what you hope is, as I'm in this teacher's classroom, I hope they learn my name. Because when they learn my name, I begin to know, like, they, they know me, right? When I'm at Christian Chapel, I want to do everything I can to know as many names as I possibly can because I understand the, the significance and value and worth that comes with that. 
Or you, you've been in that moment before where maybe you met somebody and you were sure they did not know your name. And then they called you by name. And in that moment, it was just that sense of like, oh, oh, oh. Right? And it just it settles your soul. And you just know I'm, I'm known and I'm, I'm seen and I'm welcomed. And, and when Saul hears his name, he still doesn't know that it's Jesus. But he knows this supernatural encounter is personal. And it's comforting when somebody knows your name. But it can also be just a little bit terrifying. Because when the God of all creation knows your name, chances are good he also knows exactly what you're doing. And for Saul, that's a pretty scary proposition. And this is exactly where Jesus goes. If it's powerful, and then it's personal, and then it honestly gets a little painful. And he says, hey, Saul, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And, it, and, and so this idea, again, now, I, I love the idea that God knows my name. And I love the idea that God wants to show up in power and speak directly to me. And I, at an intellectual level, love the idea that God knows exactly what I've been doing. And at a heart level, sometimes that scares me to death. Because it doesn't just mean that God knows my actions. It doesn't just mean he knows where I've been. Though for some of us that is terrifying enough. It doesn't just mean that he knows who I've been with or what I've been doing with them. But it means he knows every word that I've spoken out loud and under my breath. It means he's been with me in the car when I've given full vent to whatever's inside of me. Even more terrifying than that, he means, it means he knows every thought that has ever run through my mind. And in that space, you come to this realization of God is not only here in all of his power, and he's not just here in a very personal way where he's calling my name to speak directly to me, but he's here and he's showing me I know exactly what you've been doing. And so, so this path, this Damascus road that leads you from the wrong air to fresh air, that leads you from death to life, it will always include a moment of clear conviction and revelation where Jesus lets you know, I see your sin, it's a sin against God, it's a sin against others, and it's a sin against yourself. And he's not going to kind of whitewash it. He's not going to, to try to make us feel better about it. He's going to be brutally honest with us. And in that space of honesty, again, it's both terrifying and encouraging. It's terrifying because it's a revelation that Jesus knows me oftentimes better than I even know myself. It's terrifying because it means the things that I have been so dedicated to keeping secret and keeping quiet, he's just shouting from the rooftops of my heart. It's terrifying because it means not just in the lowest moments that I know of, but every single thought he has seen and borne witness to. And in that space, it's horrifying because it means he knows me at my absolute worst. He knows me at my lowest moments. He knows you in the spaces where you dread anyone would ever find out who you really are, what you really think, or what you really feel. And as he comes and speaks into that space and we stand in the terrifying light of his revelation, we also begin to find this gift of comfort and peace. As he begins to tell us, you are fully known and you are fully loved. I know you're broken. I know you're messed up. I know you're addicted. 
I know life is poisonous. I know what you've done to others. I know what's been done to you. I know the secrets you've never told. I know the hate you harbor in your heart. I know the memories that keep you up at night. I know the night terrors that plague you. I know the places where you have dreamed of what you could do to them if no one ever found out. And into all those spaces, Jesus comes and says, I see it and I know it and I forgive it and let's move on. And in that space, it's, it's disarming. It's unlike anything we've ever encountered before. I mean, we all, it, just think for a moment, if we had the capability to broadcast just your thoughts of the last three days on the screen behind me, I'd just be like, here's what he thought Saturday. But I mean, after 10 minutes of that, you don't have any friends left. You might not have a family left. You're definitely getting fired, right? Like you're just, there's no one. Why? Because we all, we're all attacked by the enemy. We all have these thoughts that come through. Sometimes we choose to dwell on them. Sometimes we choose to breathe them in. Sometimes we breathe them out. Sometimes we let them create the atmosphere. Sometimes we follow them down the cycle of destruction and death. And yet Jesus comes into the middle of all of that and he says, I've seen it all. And I have plans for you. And Jesus' plan was not to judge Paul and leave him blind and dying on the road on the way to Damascus. His plan was to interrupt his life in a powerful and personal way. His plan was to reveal, I know everything about you. And what you need to understand is you're not just harming the Christians, you're harming me. And there's a different way. And the, the, the last thing we see is that Jesus breathes fresh air into our life by revealing that he has a plan for us. And so for Saul, that that plan begins very simple. He doesn't tell him on the road to Damascus, Saul, get up. You're going to write 13 of the 26 books in the New Testament. Saul, get up. In a couple decades, I've got some Galatians that you're going to have to get after. And he doesn't tell him, Saul, get up. You're going to be shipwrecked and snake bit. You're going to lay your hands on the sick and see them recover. Saul, get up. You've got to pray for dead people and they'll be raised to life again. He just tells him, Saul, get up and go to Damascus. And that's, that's the extent of Saul's experience of new life. One of immediate obedience, where he acknowledges the lordship of Jesus, and he follows the path that he's laying out for him. And when we're in this process of being transformed from breathing in the wrong air to walking and breathing in the fresh air of Jesus, there will come a moment where he interrupts you in a powerful way, where he calls your name in a personal way, where he reveals everything that you've ever done. And in that space, he's going to extend mercy and grace and forgiveness and invite you to walk in new life. And then he's going to say, now let's go. And at that point, you and I face that point of decision of, am I going to go? Am I going to walk into the new life? Am I going to walk onto the new path? Do I really believe a better future is possible? Do I really believe that on my own road to Damascus, I can leave all of this mess behind me? Do I believe the anger and the rage and the violence and the bitterness and the hatred? Do I believe it stays there and I just walk into new life? And and what I want you to know, we'll see it as we work through Acts, Paul's life is completely, permanently transformed on the road to Damascus. This is not a progressive salvation that he's going to work himself into. He instantly goes from an enemy of God to the son of God. He goes from one outside of community to one inside of the community. He goes from an orphan to one who belongs in the family. And in the same way, when God calls you, he's not inviting you of, hey, I'll get you started and then work and see if you can earn the rest of it. He's saying, just start walking. 
And Paul had no idea who he would become. He had no idea the plans that God had for him. All he knew was, I have to obey. And this morning, as God speaks to you, I want to encourage you, take those first steps. It's a prayer of repentance. It's following a path that he's laying out for you. But he's leading you on a path that's going to transform your life, that's going to transform your family, that is going to transform the atmosphere around you and create generational change in your life. As you walk in new life in Jesus, you're not just saying yes to him and receiving his hope and his joy, but you're saying yes to hope and joy in your marriage. Right? That dead and dying relationship that you're not sure if it's going to make it. As you say yes to Jesus, that atmosphere begins to change, not just in your heart, but in your home. It begins to renew the relationships between fathers and sons and daughters and mothers. It begins to restore the relationships between siblings. It begins to renew a sense of passion and significance and fulfillment in your school, in your work, and in everything that you do. As you begin to walk the path of salvation, you're walking the path of life, but it doesn't happen unless you start walking. Paul never gets to Ephesus. He never gets to Thessalonica. He never gets to preach the gospel in Jerusalem if he doesn't take that first step towards Damascus. If he doesn't let someone pick him up by the hand and guide him and his blind self into town where he's gonna wait and hear what God's next plan is. His only response that day is to get up and to go. When you start that transition from breathing those old toxic fumes of the world into the new, fresh, clean air of the Lord, it's going to be a process. But your job is just to start walking. And God's going to send some people to you and they're going to grab you by the hand and they're going to walk this path with you. And years and decades down the road, you're going to look back at August 2023 as a time when you encountered Jesus in a powerful and personal way. A time where you discovered his plan for you that you were fully known, fully forgiven, and fully loved. And you begin to walk on the new path that he's laid out for you. And everything can change. And everything can be different. It's not just a story of what happened a long time ago in a land far away to a man we never knew but it's the ongoing promise of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and to the church. That everywhere Jesus shows up, he speaks in powerful, personal ways. He reveals that he knows us completely, and we are going to be completely forgiven, renewed, and set on the path he has for us. We stand with me, I wanna pray for you. The band's gonna come, they're gonna help us just finish on a, a note of celebration today of the testimony of new life and grace that we've experienced in Jesus. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we thank you for your grace today. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you see us in our lowest, darkest, most sinful moments, and that your response is to move toward us. So Lord, I pray for those today who maybe are not in a relationship with you. They've not surrendered to you as their Lord, They're breathing in and breathing out all of the wrong things and it's leading them to all of the wrong places and wrong actions. Today, Lord, may they have a powerful and personal encounter with you. May they hear you calling them by name, revealing their sin, and leading them on a path of forgiveness and new life. Lord, we ask that you would come today and if there are spaces where any of us are tempted to inhale and exhale things that are at odds with you and your kingdom and the life you've called us into. 
Will you reveal those to us? And will you replace them with the love of the Father, the peace of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit? Lord, we want to inhale and exhale your presence to change the atmosphere around us to one of life, peace, joy, and hope where our lives are changed and we're inviting others into it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.